As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. MM stands for Mike McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your slightly shell-shocked Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jackie. Well, you might still be behind your sofa listening to this. It is safe to come out. Burnley have gone home. They can't score any more goals against Wolves this season. They scored four at Molyneux and it could have been more. We will try to establish why Wolves were humiliated by Sean Dyche's men. Wolves fans might be retreating back behind the sofa next Monday evening when they face West Bromwich Albion at the Hawthorns. We'll hear from Don Goodman, who played for both teams, but loved Wolverhampton so much he stayed there. And Tim's Albion counterpart Steve Maidley will join us to preview the last Black Country Derby for... Who knows? Well, the athletic writers have excelled themselves in the past week with the European Super League story, amongst others, and we'll touch on Wolves' impressive response to that bombshell later on. And to read all their fine work, which is advert-free via the app or the website, you can subscribe for less than a pound a week for six months at theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolvespod. Well, happy birthday, Tim, from everybody at Wolverhampton Wanderers. That was your present. <laughs> Hey. Thanks. Um, yeah, How well, are you feeling, love? Uh, you know when you wake up on your birthday, the first thing you think of, oh, oh it's my birthday. You, you might get loads of messages and cards and, yeah. Well, the first thing I thought of when I woke up this morning was Willie Bolly's defending. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night. And then, Talking of presents. <laughs> I couldn't sleep at all last night. And then, yeah, first thing you think of when you wake up this morning. Just such a horror show. And the reaction from Wolves fans. I stuck a tweet out yesterday evening asking for questions and comments i've got 170 replies people are angry and i don't blame them so what is your assessment of what actually happened we always try and be as balanced as possible on this podcast and offer positives but there were none yesterday i mean it's the heaviest home defeat under nuno it's the heaviest home defeat since they lost 4-0 to barnsley under walter zenger you know they've been excuses or explanations I would say for a lot of what's gone wrong in certain matches this season you know the 4-0 hammering at West Ham the 3-2 capitulation to West Brom you can the 4-0 to Liverpool you can sort of look at injuries and lack of identity losing their identity 
But you can't blame any of those on this one. I mean, he selected his strongest team. He's, he selected his tried and trusted formation. And they've fallen apart at the seams. And what was really most alarming for me was that the characteristics that we've come to expect from this team, the minimal requirement really in terms of organisation chiefly, but also pride in their performances, just weren't there. And the fearlessness which, with which they have approached the past three years, again, just didn't look there, it's gone. It was the most on-the-beach performance I can recall a Wolves team putting in for many, many years. The players might disagree with that and Nuno might disagree, but I don't see how else you account for grinding out dull but necessary 1-0 wins over Fulham and Sheffield United to guarantee their place in the Premier League with six games to go. And then this, one week later, I can only assume that they think they've reached their points target, which they have to stay up, and they've switched off because they just mentally just weren't there. You know, <clears throat> I don't want to pick on Bolly, but he's the one that springs to mind. He looked like he switched off. He looked like he was somewhere else. And you could say the same for, for a lot of them. I know it's been a lot. It's been a long, hard two years, and they are desperate for a break. And you speak to people at the club, and that is the general feeling. Let's get to the summer. Let's all go away from Wolves. It's two years without a break. It's been a long two years. And I get that. But that doesn't excuse what we saw yesterday. Because if it was Man City, I think you'd say, okay, fair enough. But it was Burnley. They don't score. They don't play amazing football. And credit to them, they were magnificent. But they completely outplayed and outshone Wolves in every area. It was a horrible, horrible day. As you say, no redeeming features whatsoever. There was no leadership. There was no organisation. There was no commitment, no desire. I thought the BBC coverage, I'm not being biased here, but I really thought it was excellent. I thought Alex Scott and Danny Murphy in the studio nailed it. And Leon Osman on commentary. I mean, he just couldn't believe it. He was just saying, well, you know what Burnley are going to do. You're going to put the ball into the channels and cross the ball. And Wolves are doing absolutely nothing to stop that happening. Not just once, not twice. Pooh, learn from that time and time again for 90 minutes you say 90 minutes and that was probably the most disappointing aspect for me we saw first half capitulations against Arsenal do you remember Arsenal completely tore them to shreds and then yes I know they they were down to 10 and 9 men but Wolves came back in that second half and won the game West Ham tore them to shreds 3-0 up and they were shambolic again but they came back they came back to 3-2 and they'd done enough to earn a point in that game with the chances they created but here to have no reaction in that second half, for Burnley to take the initiative again, straight at the start of the second half, they scored an offside goal, which was about six inches offside. There was no spirited comeback. I don't know what was said at half-time, but whatever it is didn't work. And the players should be looking at themselves at half-time, saying, what the hell have we just produced? We've got to put a show on in the second half and restore some pride. But they didn't. That was what was most sort of concerning and worrying for me. I just felt like mentally they weren't switched on. There were dozy mistakes. They were second to lose balls. They were reactive. They were passive. They were static. There was ill discipline through Traore, who should have been sent off, in my opinion. I was fully expecting a red card when he raised his hands to someone's face. I cannot believe by modern standards that wasn't a red. Nuno never points the um, finger at individual players, and that's to his credit. You don't want Mourinho-style slagging off of your players. However, we can. And I've got to say, someone like Daniel Pedence, I know he's only four games back after injury, but he was just sleepwalking through that game. Gave the ball away time and again. He won one of his 10 duels, which is pathetic. I know he's a little lad, but still, come on. You're looking at him and Traore to inspire the team. Traore was was back to his sort of worst, really. After a very good few months, he just kept putting the ball into the stands. I know he's got two players on him every time, but he just didn't produce anything. Bolly had possibly his worst game in a Wolf shirt. His form is a huge concern for me. He's your best defender. He's the one you've got to rely on, and he's fallen off a cliff. Neves... 
a very poor game again. I know he hasn't trained and they probably wouldn't have wanted him to start, but you look at the spine of the team, it just wasn't there. And all four goals were horrendous, Jackie. Absolutely horrendous. Bolly ducks for the first one, which I can't believe. It leaves Cody one-on-one. And everyone... He's so out of position though, isn't he? He's completely yeah, out of position. Absolutely. He's misjudged the flight of the ball and Cody had to come across. It wasn't his man. That's the thing. And everyone points the finger at Cody because it looks terrible because Wood has twisted and turned him. But we know when Cody gets isolated against strong attacking players like Mitrovic and Antonio, We've seen it before. He will struggle. So it's the it's Saiz and Bolly's job to, to stop that from happening and not let those simple balls come into the box, which is exactly what they did. The second one, Traore plays it back into the box, which is a dodgy pass. However, Semedo should see that McNeil is there. McNeil is in his eye line. He's not in Traore's eye line, I don't think, but he's in Semedo's eye line. But Semedo takes a step back to receive the pass instead of a step forward to get to the ball first so McNeil manages to get there first and Neves could have helped him as well there were players just standing around when they could see and after the after that goal went in try always okay yes it was his pass and he he was to blame as well but he was looking around as if to go well why didn't you help me you could see I had my back to goal just by the edge of the penalty box why didn't you help me and that was symptomatic of the whole game or symbolic of the whole game Again, yeah, it's easy to look at Traore for playing the pass, but yeah, I, th- I think you've got to look at others as well. The third one is is incredible. Um, when I saw the replay, I could not believe that a ball lands in the six-yard box and nobody jumps. They were all just stood there. Now, Patricio, he's he's a line keeper. He stays on his line. That's his style. He does struggle a bit physically, we saw in his first season when he comes out for crosses. He's improved on that, but generally he stays on his line. You can accuse him of that, that, that that's the wrong thing if you like, but that's what he does. So the defenders know that. So with that knowledge, why are they not attacking the ball that's three yards from goal? William Jose is marking Chris Wood. He's not even looking at the ball when it comes in. Atrocious defender. And then the fourth, Saiz just, just goes for a wander. He nips off to Asda for a, for a meal deal and lets them steal in. It was four, but it should have been more than four. It's called the offside goal. Vidra missed a good chance in the first half. Patricia's made a couple of good saves. If Burnley had won 7-0, Wolves could have no arguments. And that is incredible to say. They've let their standards drop. I thought apart from Ryan Aitnori, who had a decent game, nobody could say that they did themselves justice at all. We've seen defensive calamities this season, but they've generally been with four at the back. So to see their their solid formation with their best players produce that was um, was shocking. I got a bit of stick for saying this, but when I was watching the game, I didn't. They didn't look like they didn't care to me. They didn't look like they'd given up. They were chasing balls around they were still showing signs of commitment and effort if we don't see that then we know they're in serious trouble because Nuno's Nuno's Wolves teams always do that I just thought they were on the beach and I thought like I said sorry how can you say there was no lack of commitment and effort and they were on the beach that means mentally they weren't committed I just think mentally they didn't want to win the game as much as Burnley and they placed a big emphasis internally on getting these two more wins and getting to what is it 41 points so they've got through that and I feel like they've approached the game thinking, yeah, we've got we've got a nice game at home to Burnley. We've got six games left. Let's see what we can do. Whereas Burnley were the exact opposite. They were fully committed into every tackle, into every challenge. And Wolves didn't match that desire to loose balls, to challenges. They looked as though they'd all had a barbecue the day before and treated themselves to a couple of beers or a glass of wine or something, didn't they? They looked as though they kind of celebrated safety stroke pretty much end of the season stroke sort of lockdown being semi-lifted and looked like they're enjoying maybe seeing each other's families for the first time in ages and I'm just surmising based on what we actually saw because 
something happened that mentally they were not there and they weren't committed. I mean, I tend to log matches as I go along for anything that I think is vaguely significant and put the minute with it in case I want to go back to it. You know, early on, Smedo corner swung straight out of play before it even got anywhere. Um, Slack from Bolly giving the ball away. Pedence gave the ball away. Triori badly gave the ball away. Leon Osman saying, Wall's going to have to work hard to stop crosses. This is after eight minutes, by the way. Rui, awful kick, got away with it. Pedence... Blah, blah, and it just goes on. Awful. I've used the word awful so many times. Awful through ball from Neves. Bolly, misjudged ball. Awful header. This is not missing out the good bits. This is just what actually happened in the first 20 minutes. Den Donker. Oh, my goodness. I mean, but going back to the team sheet, we were surprised when we saw Neves on it because Nuno had said he'd had high levels of, of uh, COVID in his system, so he hadn't been able to join the group. So, um, obviously, he'd been tested Later that day after Nuno had spoken, he said, and he was able to rejoin and Moutinho picked up a knock so he couldn't play. So Neves played. So you have to ask the question, why, if it's just one central midfielder that's injured, why you have to play a bloke who's been training in his garage on his own for the previous 10 plus days? He's not happy with Otisawi at the moment. He said in his Friday press conference about his attitude, that was pretty clear. He he doesn't like what he's seen from Otisawi in terms of his commitment and you have to be a footballer every day, you have to be professional every day. So that's c- clearly in the background there. But isn't that a problem if Wolves don't have an alternative midfielder, if one of them's injured and the other one is nowhere near match fit for a game against Burnley where you have to be at it, you have to be committed? The options just, just weren't there. You know, you look at the fact he made no changes at half-time. You look ahead to next week's game against Albion. Can he make wholesale changes next week? Yeah, you can say he can and give the kids a go, but I don't think he will because he just hasn't got that experience on on the bench at all. Like you say, he doesn't trust Otisawi. They had to play Neves reluctantly. He hadn't trained, and I think it showed. But did they have to, really? I mean, would it have been the worst thing in the world if they'd have put in either Gibbs-White or Vitinha in that central midfield role? I know it's not their ideal position, but when they finally did come on in the 69th minute together for Pedence and Neves. I mean, at half-time, normally when you've had a diabolical first half like that, a manager either changes one thing or he says, well, you lot got yourselves into this mess, so you lot get yourselves out of it. And he puts that faith in them to go out there and be the same players to turn it around. But they did absolutely nothing like it. And then waited till the 58th minute for Fabio Silva to come on for Semedo. And we know about Silva's fabulous attitude. But then the 69th minute before Vitinha and Gibbs-White came on, I mean, they must have been thinking at half-time, sitting on that bench, what does the manager think about me if he doesn't think that I can come on and inject some pace, energy, something into the side, some commitment? I'm desperate to play and I'm not getting a chance. And these guys look like they don't want to be here and they're getting another chance. I think given the way that the game had gone, given the fact they were 3-0 down, they needed a miracle to get back into the game, they needed to score goals. I was really surprised he didn't go to four at the back. Stick Vitinha and Gibbs-White behind the front men, bring Silver on, as you say, for a bit of enthusiasm, and go for it. Whereas he just stuck with what with what they had. And the lack of reaction from the, from those players was so alarming. You know, you think they'd want to put right what, what they'd just done in the first half. I didn't see any of that from any of them. And by the time Vitinha and Gibbs-White come on, it's too late. Burnley, who defended well all day, um, just dealt with whatever they, they tried to conjure up. And yeah, I feel sorry for them. You know, they just haven't had a, a, a good enough opportunity to show what they can do this calendar year. Vitinha just barely gets a kick. Gibbs White brought back from Swansea, barely used. And I thought this was the game to do it. I really did. Uh, we spoke about it last week. You know, they've got three difficult games to finish against good opposition. Everton, Spurs, Man United. 
They've got West Brom next week. I don't think you want to experiment in any of those four games. But Burnley and Brighton at home are your two that you look at and you think, let's let's see what these guys can do. But Nuno, for whatever reason, whether he's more bothered about finishing 12th and the extra prize money that comes with that, I don't know. We're just not seeing the experimentation that a lot of fans want to see and, and is an ideal time to do it. Not that this would potentially made any difference to the result yesterday, but you don't know unless you try them and he's, and he's not trying them. Wolves fans will be interested to know what Nuno had to say afterwards. He was asked for his assessment of his side and... Why they didn't turn up? We had a very bad performance today. Too many things, hard to explain. Uh, but uh, bad, bad defending. Not the right decisions in the right moments when we were under pressure. Um, Burnley always presses us. Um, we didn't have uh, movement to go out of that pressure. We were not able to have possessions, and then we defend very bad, uh, very bad every time. We had um, to defend an attack of Burnley, we, we defend poorly. Nuno was then asked about the mentality of his team, given that they haven't put in such a dire showing on a regular basis since promotion. You know, I will not go by mentality or character, it's not. We are the same, the same group of players that were here, the same staff that one week ago so it's not about that it's about um, not taking the right decisions when we had what what the game asked um, and being practical uh, requires bad decision requires mobility and we didn't have it we didn't have it uh, but nothing with to do with, uh, with the attitude of course when the as long as the game goes goes on um, mistakes increase and uh, we are not able to settle down and, and play the game like we should play. Today was clearly uh, the path that we should not take and I will not allow it. I thought that final line there was really interesting because he's clearly trying to protect his players and that's absolutely fine. He might be fuming with their mentality and lack of character privately, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily going to say it publicly and the players should be grateful for that. But I thought he just cracked a little bit there and allowed us to see what he really thought when he said, today was clearly the path that we should not take and I will not allow it. That's not about just making the wrong decisions with the right mentality. It depends how you interpret it, really. It is a little bit open-ended. You mentioned character. He was staunch on character pre-match and said, look, people have sort of questioned the character of these players and and I just won't have that, I don't see that. And I guess you look at previous weeks and, and you say the character was there when they were when they were grinding out a couple of important results in the last week, when they were beating Arsenal, etc., etc., Southampton away. So to say it wasn't there on Sunday has been sort of indicative of a wider issue, doesn't reflect what we've seen in recent weeks, in, in my opinion. I think he's just thinking about the way that they've approached the game. They weren't doing what, what he told them to. And it, it was interesting how he pointed out that he was more annoyed with the attack than the defence during that game. I'm sure he wasn't. I think he was just trying to make a point. And it was startling, the lack of movement up front, the lack of creativity, the lack of urgency. It was just as bad going forward as, as at the back. I think you've just got to look at individual players and say that they didn't have pride in their performance, to be honest. And they need to show a huge reaction against West Brom this weekend because fans will absolutely not forgive anything near a repeat this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So we've discussed at length the diabolical showing against Burnley on Sunday, but what should happen next? Graeme Palmer asks, should the squad be dismantled in the summer? Players are too comfortable and not putting in a shift. Has Nuno lost the dressing room? Did Jeff Shee abruptly walk out of the director's box to have words? Is it as simple as the club needs a rest and a pre-season after two years of constant football or are there bigger issues at play? System, need for major overhaul, behind the scenes, the need for some speed and power in the middle of the pitch, defence or midfield is clear to me, he says. I don't think Jeff Shee will be allowed in the dressing room to answer that point. Has Nuno lost the dressing room? I don't think you can say that from one performance, to be honest. If there was a string of results and performances like this, you could say that. But he had the dressing room when they were winning their previous two games, 1-0. They were playing exactly as he wanted them to. You know, we were saying how sort of dull it was to watch. That's because that's that's what he's instructing them to do. I think if he let them off the leash, we'd see a different game. So my point is, they're doing what he wants. I don't think you can say um, just from one game that he's lost the dressing room. Certainly not from people I speak to at the club. Tegan Clamp, what are the priorities for the summer? Top quality defender who won't make stupid mistakes, a midfielder who can control the game or a striker who can actually score? There's so much anger and frustration out there after this game and I completely get it. JB says, I'd like to know how this is any different to Mick at staying his welcome. Getting serious deja vu, look how that ended. We're all blinded by sentiment, he said. It breaks his heart, but it's time. Stu says, if we don't win next week against them lot down the road, what happens? Do Fosen get trigger happy and take the easy and wrong in, in commas option? Or do they double down and get the big check put out? I completely understand the frustration. It's been an underwhelming and long season. But I think you've just got to look at the bigger picture here and have some perspective. When I think of some of the Wolves teams that I've watched in my lifetime, and your considerably longer lifetime as well, Jackie Oatley, some of them have been have been rotten to the core. Some of the players using the club for one last payday and just not giving a damn about the shirt or the fans. You know, managers who don't care, we've had. We've, we've had owners not planning for the long term at all or not putting money in. It's completely different now. You've got to remember that. Wolves are trying to build something here. They've had three unbelievable years, like un- unbelievable. They've given success that supporters thought they would never see again, ever, in their lifetimes. So... So people get sick of the we were in League One seven years ago sort of comments, but you can also say where they were three years ago, you know, in the Championship. I think Nuno and these players have earned the right to have a season where they finish 12th, which is which is 12th, which is fine, in exceptionally difficult and unusual circumstances, and are not forced out of the club, you know, for doing that. Um, you know, Fosun are trying to build organically here with young players, young players as talented as we've seen at Molyneux for, for generations, really. You can't forget where they've come from recently. The best championship team that some people have ever seen, let alone that Wolves have seen. Two seventh place finishes, a European Cup quarterfinal. It's been an average season, right? But they've dropped five places in the most competitive league in the world. We've known from very early on that they were knackered. An integral staff member at the club told me that mental fatigue was at an incredible level on the eve of this season. 
So that's how they've gone into the campaign. You know, they've come off a 59-game season. They've lost their best player to injury. They've had an identity crisis in terms of formation. Some of them have been without family and friends for a year. They had no break last season. They had no pre-season. It can't be repeated enough. These are still the issues that we've been talking about all year long. So it's been obvious for months for me, and I think to a lot of people, that they just need to get through this season, right? Have a proper summer, refresh themselves and go again. And then with fans back, you know, they miss their energy so much. And Jimenez back and then Neto and Johnny back. I think they'll be okay next season. I just think they need to reset, Nuno included. Um, it's not just Wolves that are having these problems. There's some dire football played in the Premier League this year. The quality of matches has been really poor, in my opinion. It was awful on Sunday. It was a terrible performance. It happens. It doesn't mean they need wholesale changes. It doesn't mean they need the manager should be sacked. It doesn't mean they're not playing for him. So they were on the beach. It was unacceptable. They'll bounce back on Monday, I'm sure of it. But to call for drastic changes, it sort of misses the point, really, of what Foson are trying to do. They're about long-term planning. That's why they've signed all these young players. People ask me about the summer a lot. I think they're desperate for a top-class centre-half. I think they need a dynamic midfielder. I think they need a forward as competition for Neto, Penitz and Traore. And I think they need to sign eight Nori too. So there's a lot of work to do in the summer. But to call for these massive changes, it's just not what Foson are going to do at all, in my opinion. And I don't think it's called for. I was messaging a former Premier League player yesterday who is close to a number of current Premier League players and he was saying that they're currently running on fumes, which was his expression, i.e. they are absolutely exhausted. So some people go, oh, it's just an excuse. But this isn't. This is just individual players in different clubs who we're hearing about who are personally just dead on their feet, given all the challenges that have happened this year and the lack of being able to refresh and all the rest of it. So as you said, bigger picture. Yes, there's a huge amount of anger around. And I just have to reflect the opinion of quite a lot of people I've seen on social media with this one tweet from Matthew Nigel. How many games do you think Nuno has next season before we may look elsewhere? I think we have to bear in mind that performances have been poor, in my opinion, he says, since football returned last season. Agree with all the reasons you've stated as to why that's been, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, it's futile to put a number of games on it, but but the general point is to hit the ground running and to show that they're getting back to the levels that they've been at for the previous two seasons. Like I say, with fans back, with him and his back and some savvy summer additions, I think I think they can do that. I think most of them just, just need a proper summer. Nuno included. I, I, th- I think he's lost some of his magic and his spark and his energy. We, we can all see that. So if they're struggling sort of lower mid-table in October, November next season, then, then yeah, they, they, they'll have to look at it. But that's a long way away at the moment. Personally, I don't see it happening. I sent you a montage link of some of Nuno's highlights of when he's so engaged with the fans, he's smiling, he's giving it the fist pumps in front of the, the South Bank. None of that's been there this season. You want to see it back, you want to see the fans back. And it feels a bit like... Some minority of fans, I'd say, who are really thinking about maybe the manager needs to change. It does feel as if they'd be throwing the baby out with the bathwater and that you'd be losing a potentially great manager for this club instead of actually seeing what happens next season with a squad refresh, with refreshed players who have had a break, with a fresh manager who's had a break. And actually, it's in the club's interest to stick with them. They've earned that right. And I'd be saying that if they were 17th, but they're not their 12th. They've survived with six games to go. They've had a really difficult season in very trying circumstances. And they've still come through it not in a bad position. They're in 12th. You know, it, r- real issues for me, genuine concerns. One is the identity of the team, which I think has been lost this season. Two is burnout. Can they go again next season? Can they lift themselves? 
And another is is squad depth. When you look at that bench, you can't make wholesale changes for the Albion game, even if you wanted to. And I think you can you can say that a lot of the players are just guaranteed to play week after week, which is which is an issue. That's something they need to look at in the summer for sure. A couple of quick fire ones for you, Tim. Ben Durance, not sure that's his real name. Should Wolves look to sign British-based players rather than signing every player from abroad? Wolves don't seem to trust or want to bring in British-based players from the Premier League or Championship. For example, Everton bought Godfrey, Palace Scott Eze. It's not a trust issue, it's it's cost. Pure and simple. There are players far cheaper to buy abroad. That's that's why they do that. They look for value for money and they don't see it in this country. Although they are proven in the Premier League and take less time to settle. That's another thing. And and we heard from um, Matt Wilde explaining how difficult it was to sign Willian Jose. My goodness. With new European regulations. Brad is 77. Everyone's concentrating on the squad and the manager, but has the loss of Kevin Thelwell and Laurie Dalrymple without replacement from the backroom boardroom I guess as well being as big as if not bigger than losing Johnny Raul and now Neto on the pitch I'm not sure if you could directly correlate that with performances this season I mean both those people have been replaced now in terms of the hierarchy at Wolves I think one of the things that that fans most miss from those guys is communication and being a sort of visible presence and Scott Sellers and Russell Jones and Vinnie Clark have, have elevated to those positions now, but we don't hear from them. We don't hear what their sort of visions are, what their remits are. So I think um, I think that's something for Wolves to look at in, in the future. And we hardly hear from players either, do we? I mean, Fabio Silva was apparently the only one who was prepared to front up. And he's a, you know, 18-year-old kid. Nobody else wanted to talk, by all accounts, after the match against Burnley. Apparently, he's done the last couple of post-match interviews as well at Molyneux. That concerns me a little bit in terms of the character of the team. Well, from my point of view, you know, COVID, COVID's played a part in that. We'd always have the mix zone after the game where every single squad member would, would walk past you and you could try and grab them for a chat and Connor Cody would, would stop every week without fail and, and some of the other ones would be really good as well to have a chat to. But, you know, you've lost that now. Written journalists don't get as much access to players post-match as they would before, but that's, I'm sure that'll return next season, hopefully, when things get back to normal. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Well, let's bring in a man now who knows what it's like to play for West Brom and Wolves, now a summariser for Sky Sports, Don Goodman. Hi, Don. Hi there. What's your view on why Wolves put in such a poor performance against Burnley? Do you put it down to attitude and application? Do you put it down to fatigue? Do you put it down to an excusable theory that they've just had enough and they need a break? Or is it something else? It's a very difficult one to assess. I think when Nuno comes out and acknowledges it's the worst performance under him, probably, then it tells you everything you need to know. Uh, He refuses to blame the attitude, and I can understand why. I can also tell everybody that it can be difficult at times playing games towards the end of the season when there's nothing really on it for you, and you could clearly see the difference between what was at stake for Burnley and what was at stake for Wolves other than professional pride, really. And I wasn't really impressed with them against Sheffield United either the, the, the week before, and maybe that performance was on the verge of arriving, really, against Burnley. Could you just try and break that down for us a little bit? Because you've obviously been a professional footballer. Fans watch from home or the sidelines, whatever, and fans cannot understand how a player can go out 
live on BBC One in front of the entire universe and the entire country and and say that, well, they've only got professional pride to play for when some of them might be on 100 grand a week or so. And also yeah. the fact that they just can't understand why they can mentally switch yeah. off, how they've allowed themselves to do that, how they've allowed each other to do that. Can you crystallise that from a, a player's perspective, how that actually happens? No, it's very difficult, really. I think anybody that saw me play knew that I wasn't of that persuasion, really. They're, you've got to be able to look in the mirror and there weren't many coming off from Molyneux yesterday that could do that. I mean, I, look, the bottom line is I, I think that it's been an amazing three and a half years and we mustn't forget from where Wolverhampton Wanderers have come in that time. It's really important that fans and people don't forget where they've come from and, and therefore the players need forgiving for that performance. And obviously they couldn't have a better game to look forward to. Let's let's put it like that, could they really? It's hard to put your finger on how these performances happen, Jackie, but when you concede early goals and you're 2-0 down and 3-0 down before half-time, it's very, very hard to lift yourself Mentally, there will be an element of physical and mental fatigue. It's been a long couple of seasons, really, with no no real break, no real rest uh, between the end of last season and the beginning of this season. I'm not making excuses for players. It's just the facts, really. They've played a lot of football. Nuno likes to work with a small squad. And possibly it's coming to bear at the end of this season. And, the, the you know, I, look, I think everybody connected with Wolves. The, you know, they've got the big game uh, next weekend, which... They will be desperate to win and avenge uh, the defeat of Molyneux. And if that doesn't motivate them, nothing will. After that, really, I think the sooner the season ends for Wolverhampton Wanderers and everybody connected with Wolverhampton Wanderers, the better, really. How do you kind of assess um, the season? I mean, they've only dropped five places, which isn't a disaster, but I, I guess it's it's the way that they've played their football, which fans have sort of been yeah. frustrated with. Do you share those um, frustrations and, what, and what, what do you put them down to? Yeah, like I said, Tim, I was at, at the game, uh, Sheffield United game, and despite the fact they won 1-0, I thought they were poor. I thought Sheffield United, one of... Statistically speaking, one of the worst teams in Premier League history ever were actually better than Wolves, and I thought Wolves were lucky to win. I think the standards that they've set previous have just been so very, very high, and it's been a magical period for supporters of Wolverhampton Wanderers. When you set high standards like that, when you fall below them, it's hard for for, for fans to understand why you go from the heights of the last couple of seasons to... To this season, and it's hard to put a finger on exactly why. Look, clearly, I think I think I would like to see Wolverhampton Wanderers' style of play be a bit more on the front foot, a bit more attack-minded. But I think Nuno really, it's not an excuse, but there was no time for Nuno pre-season. There literally there was no pre-season. I think the ambition at the start of this season was to change the style, was to make Wolverhampton Wanderers a more possession-based team um, that dominated the ball better Um, but there was no time to work on that and best laid plans and all that um, I think we've seen the impact when they go to a back four they clearly are a more front foot and 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 more attacking and create more chances which I can't believe I'm finding myself saying this after the 4-0 defeat against Burnley but they look more vulnerable with a back four don't they than when they've got a back three but when they play with a back three they they it's it's a struggle for creativity. I mean, they don't blow teams away, do they? So um, it's finding a balance. And I, and I just think that there does need to be a little bit of an overhaul of the squad. I do. I would like to see five or six new players in the summer coming in just to boost the quality and the depth to the squad. And I, I'm confident that given a, a, a sort of a full pre-season 
to work with his players that um, things will be better for next season than they've been this season. Does Nuno need to recruit leaders? Do they have enough steel in this side, mentally and physically? Again, that's a difficult question because every match that I go to, I, I don't see many genuine leaders playing for any teams anymore, really. When I played, obviously, there were five, six, seven, eight leaders all on the pitch at the same time. That kind of thing uh, and that kind of characteristic within players is is diminished drastically. I think Wolves are lucky. They've got one of the few in Connor Cody, haven't they? They need quality, depth of quality. They can't lose a key player like Raul Jimenez this season and it have such an impact. Yes, anybody would miss a key player. Everybody, Every team misses their best player. Of course they do. But not to the extent that, that Wolves have missed Raul Jimenez, really. It shouldn't happen. And that, to me, with respect, just means that, that, that there is a lack of depth to this squad, really, particularly in those forward areas. You say the ideal match next is West Brom away. It is the ideal match if there's a reaction and a win because Burnley will suddenly drift off into the distance and fans will get their mojo back. If the performance is there as well, I think the performance is just as important as the result in this situation. Normally it's the result, and I get that, but fans really want to see that the players are still up for this. Obviously, it can go completely the other way. And I dread to think what Wolf social media will be like after the blackout, if you like, of the weekend and, and people come back to life on yeah. Monday night or Tuesday morning. But, I mean, you've played in Black Country derbies. You played in that one at the Hawthorns in the season 1989-90 when Wolves did the double over the Albion. You were playing for them when uh, Robbie Dennison scored and, and Bully scored the winner right in front of the away end. I mean, what is the atmosphere like when the fans are in? Oh, it's amazing. This is why you, you, you're you so desperate to become a professional footballer. These are the games that you want against local rivalries. And you, look, you're playing for bragging rights as well as three points. You're playing for local pride. You're playing to give your fans the bragging rights and not to be coming off second best in the local banter. So it, it, it means the world. It really, it really does. And you're right. I think a performance would be good. Let's analyse the two sets of players. Wolverhampton Wanderers clearly have far superior players to West Bromwich Albion. Um, but they have to show it. And in the last couple of games, they haven't shown it. But like I say, for this particular game, I think it's it's a perfect game for them to erase the memories of Burnley. I'd be shocked and really, really disappointed if they weren't able to put on a performance. Um, so it sounds like, Don, you're saying that attitude is is is. It's going to be the most important thing on Monday. I mean, we saw on Sunday Burnley's attitude was was far superior. They wanted the game more. We know that there's still plenty at stake for Albion. You know, they're not down yet. Um, so attitude is going to be more important than anything. Is that right? Well, I would say when you are um, a superior team to any opposition, your attitude has to be right. And if your attitude is right, nine times out of ten, you should beat inferior opposition. But Nuno... Uh, was refusing to, 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 to blame the Burnley performance on attitude, um, decision-making, wasn't it, which he's focused on. And, and, and decision-making or making bad choices comes from fatigue, really, more than anything, really, I have to say. But that's what separates good players from brilliant players, from world-class players, is that the, the world-class players are the ones that will make good decisions most of the time. For me, if the players can't get up for this, then they shouldn't be playing. Shouldn't be playing professional football, to be honest with you. Do you think Nuno will stick with largely the same side and, and his first choice players and his first choice formation, if you like, with five at the back? 
in the sense that you'd say, well, this isn't time to experiment. But is sticking with what we saw against Burnley really the the safe option? I'd be surprised if he went with a back four, if that's what you're asking me. And I say that because it was one of the games several months ago where where they were experimenting with a back four, wasn't it, really? And they had so many chances against West Bromwich Albion to to win that game, but but they didn't. Um, So given that, I'd be surprised if he went to a a back four. The one thing that, that the players and that Nuno has is a clear week really, to analyse those mistakes, to view footage of some of the good things that they've done this season and some of the bad things and to really plan uh, and be be thorough. And players will get some sort of rest, I'm sure, this week and recharge the batteries. And they'll. I'm confident they'll put everything into preparing the best that they can. But I highly doubt that they will change too much in terms of formation. I mean, I often say when I'm commentating on Wolves that Pedro Neto, if you take him every time he gets on the ball, his first thought is, how can I hurt the opposition? It's not about being safe. It's not about passing sideways and not about passing backwards. I saw too much of that against uh, Sheffield United. So Wolves have got to focus. How can they hurt what is one of the worst defences in the Premier League? You know, another word that Nuno uses a lot is solutions. We hear it a lot, don't we, in his pre- and post-match interviews. He's looking for solutions. I would expect the formation to probably be the same, but they need to be a bit more front foot for me. I look at that squad and that bench and I don't... You know, I guess after a defeat like Burnley in a performance where you could have lost 6 or 7 nil. Nuno could say to those players, none of your places are safe next week, lads, you know. But but yeah. but you can't say that to them because because they just haven't got the options. And we we saw that yesterday with, with the bench as well. I think that's something they, that they need to address this summer is, is they need experienced, ready-made options on the bench. And he doesn't, he doesn't tend to uh, react dramatically, does he? He's a very loyal coach. He's a very patient coach. But he will have the attitude that most of those players will be given the opportunity for redemption, I I would suspect. Isn't that just so easy for them? Isn't it just easy for them knowing they're going to play every week? I mean, no matter what Rui Patricio does, John Ruddy's got no chance of playing, even though he was at fault with some of the goals. You know, we know he doesn't come for balls, but, you know, Chris would have a free header from three yards out. I mean, he's, he's certainly not blameless either, but everybody knows he's going to play every week. And that can't help the sharpness of a player if he's not under threat for his place. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a huge part of competition. You know, we've had all the horrible stuff that went on last week and the large part of the European Super League. You know, it was about, it's about competition, isn't it? And being competitive and that's against opposition, but it's also within your own squad, you know. When you are a striker and there's a, a striker in the background itching to, to take your place. It, it keeps you on your toes, it keeps you sharp. But Nuno has predominantly liked to work with a smaller squad. And I think possibly this season that, that ethos has probably been bitten him on the bum a little bit, really, because there was no rest in the summer. There, the season has been remarkably condensed. No time to work on things on the training ground, no time to recover physically and mentally for players. It's been a unique season and... Like I said, uh, for me, it's about remembering where the club was three and a half years ago and they were finishing, what, 14th, 15th in the championship. They've come a long, long way. They are now an established Premier League club, but they've set such high standards. We can accept them falling slightly below the standards 
of recent times, but at the minute they they seem to be way off, and 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 they've got what is it five games left to redress that. Maybe some of them will be playing for their futures at the football club, and maybe that can be a motivating factor. Don Goodman, thank you very much, and good luck on Monday evening. Absolutely, you're welcome, guys. Take care. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Cheers, Don. Cheers, Tim. Happy birthday. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. <laughs> Cheers, <Yeah. Pat. laughs> Maidley is a brave man, the West Brom correspondent for The Athletics, stepping onto enemy turf for the benefit of our listeners. We'll be kind to you, Steve. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Well, the 90-second minute equaliser for Villa against the Albion on Sunday night was an absolute sickener for them and their fading hopes of survival. I mean, how high had hopes been of avoiding relegation before that? Probably not not very high before the Villa game. I think after the, the Chelsea win and the Southampton win, I think they kind of developed a, a bit of hope again where there hadn't really been any before. But but then I think that was kind of extinguished to a large extent by Newcastle pick, picking up some points unexpectedly. So I think I think Albion fans kind of went into the, into the Villa game, especially after Burn, Burnley win, win against Wolves on, on Sunday, kind of t- took them further away as well. I think, I think they went into the, the Villa game just intent on, be- on beating Villa, really, more so than any- anything else, because that's obviously a big local derby for-, for Albion as well, and they came incredibly close to doing it and then just were undone by that Kyle Bartley error at the end. How are you reading the uh, the game on, on Monday, Steve? Um, Albion was... Al- I mean, I've seen a bit of Albion this season, but at the time, they hadn't played anywhere near as well as they did at, at Molyneux. I mean, that performance came out of nowhere. Are we expecting them to, to perhaps be able to reach those levels again? Well, as you know, Tim, I mean, before that Molyneux game, I, I didn't give Albion a prayer... <laughs> no, 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 you didn't. Despite you telling me that, that, that Wolves weren't playing great at the, t- at the time, I just thought Albion was so poor at that, that time. I, I just, I just didn't give him any hope. And then, obviously, we all, we all saw what happened. I mean, Al- Albion now are a, a much better side than Albion were then. They're still not a great Premier League side, as the, as the, as the table and the results would tell you. But most games now, they do. Com- they are at least competitive. Wolves are obviously on a probably a poorer run than they were head of the Molyneux game so all, all logic kind of t- kind of tells you that Albion are probably the favourites for, for this but logic told me that Albion hadn't got a hope at Molyneux and look how that turned out so God knows how this one's going to go I mean Wolves did help them out quite a lot by gifting them two penalties by kicking their players one of them outside the box that was given but anyway we're over that um, one of them needlessly inside the box and a long throw which they didn't bother defending it sounds like you're really over it, Jackie. Completely over the fact that Kieran Gibbs caught the ball and basically threw it, I'm slight exaggeration, right in front of goal. And, and that was definitely not a penalty. It should never have been a penalty. No, but I mean, I'm slightly um, joking because clearly Wolves were shocking that day, particularly the last half hour capitulation. And that kind of performance was in evidence against Burnley. So, I mean, it's all for Wolves players to prove and the fans will be looking very, very closely in terms of the attitude of this game. But I noticed after the Villa game on Sunday night in Big Sam's post-match interview, yes, he was devastated by that last minute equaliser, but he said, but then we've got the chance to do the double over the Wolves. And you could tell he got a little shot of adrenaline as he said that, as if to go, that's what I'm going to get my players to focus on now. Okay, so we're, we're not going to stay up, but this is a big moment for us to try and salvage something from the season. And you just get the sense that he's going to get them as organised and as up for it as they were at Molyneux. Yeah, well, I think I think that's kind of how the fans are, th- are thinking as well. Most Albion fans look, looking at it now kind of accept that, that relegation's probably 95% done. But if they can go down having done the double over Wolves, 
who knows how for how long the clubs are going to be in different divisions. I mean, Albion would obviously hope that it's that it's just for just for one. But for as long as they don't play each other each other again, Albion will will obviously want to have that last memory of a Black Country derby, but being them keeping this this bit of a hoodoo they've got, they've got over Wolves at the moment. Tim and I have got a horrible feeling about this, but anyway. I know we, we're just making faces at each other on Zoom, saying, "Oh my God, we're we're, we're we're basically dreading this." As 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 we always dread black country derbies these days. Let's be honest, Albion's record is is uh, ridiculous over the last uh, twenty five years or so. Steve, I love I love the Big Sam narrative in all this. I mean, he probably understands the fixture better than anybody in terms of frontline staff and players. You know, from either club, um, being a Dudley lad, is he still denying being a Wolves fan though? That, that's that's what I want to know. I'm not, I'm not sure he fully denied it. I think I think he I think he probably say he tried to mitigate. Gate a, li- a little bit when, when he came in, and I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, does it? It, ma- it might matter to a few fans, but it's it's been, you know, it's been a long time ago. Big Sam rarely even sounds like he's from the he's from the Black Country any, anymore. He's he sounded a lot more genuine when he said, "If anything, now he's a Bolton Wanderers fan." But he's not because I've spoken to him about it, and he's all Wolves, so don't worry about that. But that's not the okay. point. I mean, the, the fact is, it's prof- <laughs> it's just prof- it's. It's just a fact that he's a Wolves fan and he still is, but he's well, an Albion yeah, manager. I mean, and it's not his fault. It's just how it is. And he's trying to make the best of a situation and he's desperately going to try and beat Wolves because it's all about pride and that's the job he's doing. And he wants to have some fun on Monday night and um, and lord it over them. And he wants to give himself options for next season as well. I mean, none of us know how what decision Albion are going to make about manager next season, what decision Sam is going to make about whether he wants to stick around. But, you know, the last thing he wants is is to basically leave Albion because they decide he's, he's not good enough for them. He's going to want to get enough good results between now and the end of the season, whatever whatever happens in terms of relegation, to at least have made a case to keep the job. If Albion decides to go for someone younger or for someone with a different profile or, or he decides that he it's, it's not quite for him back in the cha- championship, it won't then look like he's been sacked. In terms of the formation, it was 4-1, 4-1 against um, Villa away. What are you expecting from them? Do you think there'll be many changes? I think the only likely change is possibly Dara O'Shea in for Shemi Ajayi. O'Shea's been playing recently. He's do, he's done pretty well up until the Leicester game when no one did did, did particularly well. Allardyce changed it for uh, for the for the Villa game. He, he said he needed needed some fresh legs, and I, I suspect probably Ajayi's pace against Ollie Watkins was probably in in his mind as well. But Ajayi wasn't wasn't great at Villa, at Villa Park. He gave away that soft, that soft penalty. Otherwise, I, I don't see too many changes that. That formation, the the four one four one come four three three, whatever, however you want to describe it, is, is kind of what is favoured generally. He deviated from it when Chelsea went down to ten men, and then he stuck with a kind of four two three one against Southampton. But then that that kind of got exposed a little bit against 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 Leicester. I would expect a very similar t- team team to the one the one at Villa, where you know, it wasn't a perfect performance by any means, but they did compete against against a decent Villa side and were in the game throughout the whole 90 minutes really mm, I'm just thinking back to that game at Molyneux they were actually without a few key players that day weren't they including Connor Gallagher on loan from Chelsea who's a, who's an excellent young player well thank you so much Steve we'll see how it all pans out on Monday no problem Tim the huge story this week just astronomical story was about the greed and arrogance of the so-called top six and the dirty dozen across Europe who tried to break away and then quickly backtracked when they realised their own fans weren't having it at all. Absolute shambles. Wolves with an impressive statement in reaction to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I bet they're glad they got it out in time because it was about an hour before the, the pack of cards started to fall and Chelsea were pulling out and Man City were pulling out. But they spent all afternoon after the 
PL14 meeting, which was all the, the other 14 Premier League clubs, has had a big meeting about the shenanigans. And um, yeah, lots of clubs, I think pretty much every club put a statement out, Albion, Everton, West Ham, Leicester, um, voicing their opposition. Some were stronger than others, some were more emotional than others. And Wolves um, put together, yeah, on sort of, it was, it was very much Jeff Shee's thoughts, really. Obviously, he didn't write it himself, not that I'm aware of. Um, if so, I've got competition in journalist stakes. Um, but no, it was very much his thoughts and he 100% signed it off. And yeah, the, the, the stuff opposing the Super League I thought was great and they were very direct in pointing the finger at individuals at these at these six clubs at what they were trying to do to the English game. And that was all great. But, but what was most interesting for me was they used the opportunity of this lengthy six, 700-word statement to reaffirm their commitment to the club. And this is something I think fans really wanted to hear. And they haven't heard from Jeff Shee, I think, directly for about 18 months, um, which, you know, isn't a concern for Wolves. And that, uh, we've discussed this before on the pod, and I've written pieces about, you know, why that is. But it was very noticeable to me that they sort of dropped this in. And the language was very interesting as well. As I wrote about last week, I'll, I'll read the quote up for you now. Foson made a commitment in 2016 when they took over this historic football club and have displayed their dedication since, taking Wolves on a journey from the Championship to the Europa League, an example of the type of ascent which makes English football so special. That commitment stands just as strong now in 2020 as it did five years ago. Foson remains completely devoted to Wolves and harbour the same sizeable ambitions which they hope to achieve through a meticulous long-term plan so yeah the words completely devoted stuck out like a sore thumb to me in a nice way i thought it's incredible you could just say we're we're very committed to wolves you know we're quite dedicated but no completely devoted um very strong language i thought it was like i said it was very pointed statement folks and and wolves don't throw away words willy-nilly it was all very deliberate and fans have sort of started to doubt their commitment a little bit for a variety of reasons which i sort of explored in this article you know in terms of net spend and chinese owners pulling out of europe and the molyneux plans going on hold and jeff not talking people have kind of put all those things together and thought oh, what's happening with Foson here are they pulling out and I think it's, it's the exact opposite you know from conversations I have from with very senior people at the club it's the exact opposite and it's a 20 year plan um, but they just they don't want to put this club in financial danger which is why they're not going to go out and spend 150 million quid this summer so it is a long term plan it's one that will require a little bit of patience but in terms of, of nailing it with the fans and getting the right message across it couldn't be more different to the owners of the, of the big six with their awful either silence or horrendously managed apologies, which are just pathetic, really, um, groveling. Uh, you know, to, to have folks and kind of chime in with the fans, I think, is um, is not to be underestimated. Oh, it's important. It's in their interest to communicate. I totally understand what you're saying, that you don't hear Man United and Ed Woodward doing interviews every five minutes. You've said that repeatedly, that that's why they don't talk on a regular basis or communicate. But I do think it's an issue that, people from the club don't communicate and said just before we don't hear from players I think even just players doing post-match interview audio ones or or broadcast ones in this country I think it would help communication is absolutely key in every walk of life and it really helps to calm people down when there are issues bubbling under and it helps to to pacify people and and goodness knows what might happen if they lose to the Albion but uh, again there's no point in hiding away. People need to communicate and come out and talk. But yes, Wolves absolutely got that right. Completely devoted. If only they'd have said, hopelessly devoted to you. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I'm hopelessly devoted. 
this week people absolutely need to read your article on Sunday's meltdown and you've uh, included the passion and you've taken some passion out and you've looked at why it happened so that absolutely needs a read but also you've done an article with a couple of former fans favorites now doing very well out in the United States. Yeah, I had a really, really uh, enjoyable chat with Neil Collins and Kevin Foley who, uh, if people don't know, are head coach and assistant head coach at Tampa Bay Rowdies in America based over in Florida and they had a hugely successful season last season, which we which we talked about on the pod a little bit. They're basically as good as it gets without being in the MLS. Um, but because there's no promotion relegation in America, obviously it's a very topical subject. They're sort of stuck there really, and they have to apply to be in the MLS. And that's a lot to do with stadium and money and broadcast rights, etc. Um, Jackie Oatley screwing her face up like she's just <laughs> eating a, net, a nettle. Um, it's not the football that we know. And and you know, Neil said it's it's hard to get used to. You know, from coming from the best pyramid in in world football, really, arguably, you know, the English game to that, it's difficult to get used to. However. They're doing a fantastic job, uh, very popular over there, uh, two young coaches really, really learning their trade and um, and getting success and lovely to see two popular ex-Wolves players, really nice lads, doing well. Um, Neil, Neil's, Neil Collins has been there for a few years now, he ended his career there as a player and then became manager in 2018 and then um, Kev went over to join him last January. I did an interview with him at the time. So it's just, it's, it's just great. And I can't wait to see where their careers go. You know, they're only 37 and 36. Um, I made the obvious comparison with about Mick and Terry Connor to them, which they sort of said there are a few similarities, actually, because Collins is the one that gets angry and can swear. And Fo- Foley's the one who's, who's really kind of close to the players and coaches them individually, which is what Terry Connor used to do. So He's got a clipboard. <laughs> yeah, I asked him that. No, he hasn't. So yeah, no, we, we, we had a great chat and hopefully people will enjoy reading that. Um, also want to point you to, as well as an article about Sunday's meltdown and Foson's long-term uh, ambitions, colleague of mine, Nick Miller, did a fantastic piece, uh, which I contributed a small amount to, on ACL injuries and most specifically people who've suffered two ACL injuries. And he spoke to people who've been through that. Of course, this is what Johnny Castro-Otto is going through right now. And he spoke to Giuseppe Rossi and Lewis Cook and a couple of other and it really gets into the physical and mental uh, challenges that that Johnny's going through right now. So, um, yeah, that's another one I'd I'd urge people to read. Just on Johnny, I don't think he's really been picked up upon. I haven't seen it anywhere, but having listened to Nuno's presser on Friday, he said that Johnny's surgery went fantastically well and that the surgeon had sorted the injury and the form of the problem that caused the injury, which is interesting, I thought, because it happened again the obvious concern is, well, will it keep happening, etc. But they seem to have worked out why it happened again, if I've read what he said correctly, which is really interesting and very, very positive. Yeah, in fact, Nuno had alluded to that um, immediately after the injury, actually, and kind of said, you know, we know why, because I, I think the accusation you can sort of level at them is that Johnny came back too soon because he only was only out for six months, even though he'd played eight games. 
So, but Nuno said in the press, he said, we know why, but it wouldn't be fair to go into it, he said, in public and wouldn't be fair for him to do it in public. So, um, Wolves are kind of tight-lipped on, on the specific medical reasons behind that. But the most important thing is that, that they're confident that the problem is the problem has been fixed, which hopefully means that it'll come back uh, as good as new. Well, that's a nice positive note to end on before you leg it for your birthday beer garden shenanigans. Are you going to be there all day? That's the that's the plan. That's the plan. Straight. Yes, it's we're recording this on Monday morning, and yeah, the rest of the rest of my day has been booked in outdoor beer gardens. So see you later. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Leg it. Still hopelessly devoted to you. By the way, did you get my card? I haven't opened my cards yet. Have you? Have you sent me one? Go and get it. Go and get it. Go and get it now. Okay. Right. So, uh, gold envelope. To open Monday, 26th of April, after 9am. Right. Yeah, when we're recording the pod. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. So we've got a pisshead, basically, on the front of the card um, <laughs> with a question, with a badge, official beer taster, uh, with a question, where does the best beer come from? Germany, Belgium, Holland or England? Open the card. Who cares? <laughs> it's where it's going that's important. Oh, Jackie Oatley. Dear Spiders, Sheriff of Stafford. <laughs> nice little arrow would say you pointed to the massive pisshead uh, <laughs> down in four bottles of beer uh, from the Queen of Codsall. What have you said? Have a fabulous day helping the pubs of Stafford to recoup their considerable pandemic losses. A true pillar of the community with ultimate respect from your podcast wife, the Queen of Codsall, Jackie Oatley. Wow, isn't that lovely? Thank you I very much. I normally call myself that, by the way. <laughs> you say all anyway, the time. Anyway, your- <laughs> off to the pub. Be gone. Thank Enjoy. you very much. Don't forget to take your badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Tim who will have the most horrendous hangover by the time you're listening to this so be kind to him thanks also to Don Goodman and Steve Maidley and a reminder that you can read all of Tim's analysis and that of his equally well-connected colleagues by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod for $3.99 a month for the first six months and we'll be back with you next Tuesday afternoon with full reaction to the Black Country Derby bye for now The Athletic.